There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. And most importantly, Flyers fans, welcome to the Flyers Talk podcast. As always, Katie Emmer with Jordan Hall with you all today. It is Monday, May 4th. We have a lot to get to. Um, The NHL draft, we have a meeting coming later at 3 p.m. Eastern on this very Monday. We're going to get more info from the league on that. Danny Briere will be uh, joining Taryn Hatcher. We're going to get some of that interview on the pod as well later on. But firstly, Jordan It is the 20-year anniversary of the Flyers and Penguins taking it to five overtimes in the 2000 Stanley Cup playoffs. It is crazy to to, to look back at so many of these memories, Jordan, but also to have so many different guests on talking about this wonderful moment, and it's officially the 20-year anniversary today. Katie, how many times have you heard since, uh, since you came to Philadelphia, how many times have you heard about that game and so many stories? You have the pleasure of working side by side with Chris Terrian for just about every Flyers game. Uh, have you ever had a chance to pick his brain? I know we had him on the podcast before, but does he ever tell you some fun stories from that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point for both of us too, right? On the podcast, we've had those different stories. It's been fun for us both um, to learn more. But for me, just hopping in this season and learning more about Chris Darren, he has so many memories, and he'll say that on the broadcast. He'll say that off the broadcast just from playing days. This game specifically, I've heard hints of it. I think I got more from – from that specific night uh, on the podcast with you. So I would encourage all of our listeners to go check that interview out. Um, it was a good time having him on. But I think the biggest thing that he would talk about was just the fact of just having no energy left. I mean, even Jonesy, too, he would hint about what Jonesy would say. And um, we need to get Jonesy on here, too. He's, he's yeah. got to have a lot of good stories. We're going to get him on. It's going to be something that will be happening. And I would love to get his take. But yeah, Bundy, just a lot of good memories, but I think overall just talking about, of course, the, the pizza memories, Jordan, the, getting the pizza. We had that from JJ, too, in between the broadcast, and you don't really have time. You have to, like, keep going, and you're, you're hungry. And, um, but, yeah, it definitely I think it was that, the pizza uh, and just not having any energy in his legs to keep going. What about you? Yeah, Chris Terrian really uh, stuck out to me, too, uh, Katie, when, um, when he came on the podcast with us. And I just actually rewatched it this morning, and I really saw what he was saying. If you go back and watch the Keith Primo goal, yeah. uh, Chris Terrian is the first one to get to Keith in celebration. And watch it, Katie. It's so amazing. Chris's face is in pure just like – almost like he's not even smiling. He's just like saying thank you, like in his yeah. face. He's hugging him. and Make he, it and stop. He looks, like just, <laughs> he looks like he's so incredibly exhausted. And yeah. I remember him telling us before he was getting ready to take another shift and he looked over at a teammate on the bench and he, I think he, he said something like, I've got nothing left. Like my legs are going to give out. And yeah. what do you know? He looks up and, and Primo scores. And you can see exactly what Chris was feeling 
when he goes out there and hugs Primo, his face is just, it's priceless. Um, I actually, we're going to have it on the website uh, tonight on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. I was able to screenshot it and kind of use it as our live stream image. So you'll see Bundy and he, and his face is just pure, pure relief. And just like, thank you. Thank you for ending this. I had nothing left in the tank. Katie, we looked it up. I think he played, I think he played 50 plus minutes. Um, Something like that. Yeah. And I remember him talking. I mean, right on the nose. Absolutely insane. That story was uh, really, uh, really struck me. I enjoyed that. And then Jim Jackson's uh, reliving that game. It was really fun too. Just, from the broadcaster's perspective and how he's trying to, you know, that's it. It's not an easy job staying, staying alert and being able to like do the play by play. I I'm amazed at how he does it every game, but then to do it through five overtimes and stay alert, stay ready. And he was joking that, you know, as the night grew on and it went into the morning, he started becoming a little more punchy because you just become more loopy. (laughs) Like it's just natural, but he was trying to keep it together. um, What a great, what a great call he had for that game. And just to hear his perspective, I enjoyed it too. And another thing too, nothing better. Again, this, this episode, we're recording it uh, early here on this Monday, May 4th, but later on tonight, uh, the fact that that game will be rebroadcasted to celebrate the 20 year anniversary on NBC sports, Philadelphia. I always love any opportunity I can to take a look back on my now coworker, Chris Terrian. So you talked about his facial expression. I'm, I didn't, I didn't notice that one on the tapes, but I will look it back. It's going to be fun to see that again, that magic tonight and just see like Jonesy, see all the different um, components of this game in a different era in a way. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, JJ as well. I mean, he's got so many great memories from all of his years covering it, but that's something I'm looking forward to tonight specifically is uh, taking a look back on that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like we were saying, Katie, uh, this time's been fun to kind of relive some of these historic moments that, Maybe you and I, yeah. you and I didn't experience as much um, as others, and now we get to kind of watch them, see them, relive them, and we, and we kind of get a sense of why it was probably so special for so many people during that time. Uh, yep. We also had a terrific story from Pat Boyle on Sports Uncovered Marathon on Ice podcast that we'll be having coming up on NBC Sports Philadelphia, but let's give you just a taste of Pat Boyle's uh, story from that night and morning. I was in this hallway where there were two entrances to the Flyers locker room. There was one that was right near the bench, and then there was one in the back end, and I was kind of in between the two. And um, I, I saw, you know, whatever overtime that was where, like, on a um, – on a like a – I'm trying to think what kind of like a cart they brought down a cart that had like, I would say, you know, 10 pizza boxes at least. And they were stacked outside the door. And then as soon as the intermission hit, you know, trainers and uh, locker room staff brought in the pizzas. And then I was able to see as they would open it up for various reasons. When the assistant coach, Mike Stuthers would come out, I could see IVs in there being administered. You could see guys drinking Pedialyte. So it was like pizza, Pedialyte. And I do remember talking to some of the guys after the game that the the coaches usually had popcorn and they were even eating the popcorn uh, during intermission. So it wasn't exactly 
you know, the healthiest of food, but they just needed something in their body to give them energy. And that's, that's all they had access to. Pizza, popcorn, and Pedialyte, Katie. That is something else, P- but... P-cubed, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you so, go. Guys, they were doing just about everything and anything to survive that game. And it, I, I'm still blown away. I know they won. They were down 2-0 in that series. They won in overtime in game three and then won five overtimes in game four. That's, that's six combined overtimes just to even the series. And then what did they do? They, they ran away with the series. And we, we had Chris Terrian say, he said, once they got that game four, uh, I think they thought that they really just took the hearts out of the Penguins and they knew yeah. they were going to win that series. As exhausted as they were, Katie, they knew they were going to win that series. Pretty cool. Yeah, no, pretty cool to have that sort of – just to be a part of that historical game, again, from JJ telling us that, and also for Chris Terrian's sake, playing in a, in a game like that, something you hadn't seen before is a five-overtime game. Um, but always fun to take a look back on that and fun again today to celebrate. It's been 20 years since I love, uh, put a tweet out today and I love hearing our listeners out there, our our Flyers fans that have so many memories. A lot of them is just, uh, you know, working, you know, had to work the next morning and I was sleeping the whole time. Like they were just up all night to watch this game. And, And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can resonate and have all of their own specific memories of that, that, uh, five overtime game that. Really, you don't see all too often. Um, but yeah, lots of good playoff moments, and you got to see them, or you got to love seeing them, you know, take over the Penguins. Moving on to something else, someone that um, hasn't uh, – oh, and one more time again, Marathon on Ice Sports Uncovered. Jordan, I think you talked about that. Before we move on, fans, listeners, you're going to want to check that out. So many great memories um, and more from, you know, the interview we just heard. Uh, that'll be coming shortly. I think we can expect next month. So I'm really excited to hear more about that uh, to come. But moving on, um, Danny Breer was one that had a lot of memories with the Flyers. He wasn't a part of the five overtime game, of course, but he created his own history in the postseason, specifically in the 2010 playoffs, Jordan, when he had the 30 points, he was the most among any of the NHLers um, in scoring that season. But so many great moments for Danny Breer. I know we had a Danny Breer a Hall of Fame end-to-end going out. A lot of us would agree that we, we would see him, but also, you know, his regular season performances maybe weren't as consistent from injury and other things going on. Um, but you really can't compare just what he was able to do in the postseason for the Flyers, Jordan. Yeah, Katie, one of the best postseason performers in franchise history, and like you yeah. said – that one of her fans, like, he wasn't really anything super special during the regular season. He played in other, you know, cities for other teams. But what he did in the playoffs, uh, that can really cement your legacy in this city. I think we all know that. You know, if you look across the board from sport to sport, um, you don't have to be here forever. But if you come up in the biggest moments, uh, you'll be remembered. You look at Matt Stairs and his home, his home pinch hit home run in the 2008 uh, playoffs. Uh, he was only here for a short stint, but fans will forever love Matt Stairs. Uh, you think of Nick Foles. Nick Foles, you know, was a backup quarterback for, for some time here. Uh, but he comes, you know, comes in, saves the day, wins a Super Bowl, and he has a statue outside Lincoln Financial Field. So uh, Philly has, you know, a soft spot for championships and for, for those moments. And Danny Breer, gosh, he provided so many of them. Uh, I think that's why almost all of us, had him eventually making the Flyers Hall of Fame uh, because those moments just 
created uh, a mystique and an aura about Danny Barrera and Flyers fans. So I think one day we'll see we'll see him in the Flyers Hall of Fame and we'll, people will be celebrating him again uh, at Wells Fargo Center. But uh, we, we had the pleasure, uh, our own Tara Hatcher had the pleasure of chatting with Danny Breer today on a number of topics. Um, let's give you a little bit of what he had to say to Taryn Hatcher. Then we fast forward to, to December 2009. Team is 13, 11, and 1. And after a loss to Vancouver, I believe, a, a team meeting was called. Words were passed around. And soon after, John Stevens was fired. I, I wonder what was said in that team meeting that you felt like kicked it into a different gear for this team. And then once Peter Laviolette came in, how did you see things change? Well, first of all, in, in that meeting, basically we, we were saying, um, you know, we have a great coach. We have someone who's very understanding. Um, and, you know, like we got to play better. We, we have to find because there's no one in that room that wanted to get rid of John Stevens. Um, you know, and, and we wanted to keep him around, but we just were not performing uh, up to, to what was expecting. So um, that, that's mostly what it was talked about, uh, you know, how we were wasting away um, a season with a great team uh, by not playing uh, up to our basically standard. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, it, it didn't help save – uh, John Stevens' job, and then we moved on. Uh, Peter came in, and it was funny because when Peter came in, we didn't have results right away. We had to go down even deeper before things started uh, turning around. But um, you know, there's definitely a different vibe when when you add a new coach like that. Uh, middle of the season, guys are worried all of a, all of a sudden for uh, responsibilities, and guys that don't have as many responsibilities are hoping that maybe they'll get more, they might play more. Um, so I, I think everybody started elevating their play. Um, and then this, the new system came in, the new ways uh, of playing came in. And, and that's how we started rolling. I feel um, after we played, um, we had the, um, the outdoor game that year. And, and I feel after that is when we started playing better. Your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye, Sixers Talk, Phillies Talk, and Flyers Talk now. What a great interview, Jordan. Hearing from Danny Briere with Taryn Hatcher. A lot of good things throughout this interview. We heard him talk about the playoffs and the chemistry with the Flyers team and just his memories with Philadelphia uh, fans, listeners. You guys can check that interview out if you want to listen back and listen more. Um, it's going to be on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com again with Taryn Hatcher. Jordan, like I said, a lot of cool things that stuck out, but I think overall it was really kind of interesting to hear, you know, that whole coaching change in the middle of the season. They go to the Stanley Cup playoffs with Laviolette. It's kind of thing, it makes me think about this season, Elaine Vino, and just the things he's been able to do and changing things around. You know, it's never easy to, to get a head coach, and of course that was a different situation. This year, though, with Elaine Vino, it's really, it's really positive, of course, to see what he's been able to do. I think for fan, Flyers fans, they could agree with that. But it's also positive, Jordan, hearing it from the actual players that like playing under him this year. Absolutely. And I think we've seen uh, a changed approach, a changed philosophy, and really what a new voice can do uh, for an organization in just one year. The Flyers went from, you know, a pretty disastrous 2018-19 season, and they became a top-six team uh, in the NHL uh, right before this NHL pause. And that has a lot to do with Elaine Vigneault, his influence 
his approach, what he brings to the table, and then obviously their experience coaching. So I, I think it's very similar to kind of 2009-10 where we, it's almost a forgotten storyline that they had a coaching change during that year because I think the playoffs were so memorable. Even game 82 obviously was incredible. Um, and then, of course, coming back to beat the Bruins, um, going all the way to the Cup. There were so many memories in the playoffs that you, you forgot what, that coaching change during the regular season, Katie. And uh, I think it's just an example of how sometimes that change of voice is like a reset for players. Yeah. And they kind of rally behind it and all of a sudden feel like, okay, it's just a restart. Uh, I think the Flyers had that in 2009-10. Uh, and what do you think about the Flyers this year? I think, I think they felt new life under Elaine Vigneault this year. Well, yeah, and I'll reference again, just having Travis Sanheim and Joel Farabee on and having that question of what is it like to play under Elaine Vigneault? And given these two are younger players, they, they haven't seen as much uh, d- different coaching styles as maybe Matt Niskanen or Justin Braun. Um, but these two just giving their you know, feedback on him, they all have a smile on their face. Elaine Vigneault is a guy that is a transparent coach and from a standpoint from the media you know, side of things, Jordan, we, we really appreciate just someone saying it like it is. Uh, in a post-game uh, show with me and, and anybody at the desk, it's all, we're all expecting to hear him say it just like it is out there. And there has been sometimes, Jordan, where it's been like, wow, that was a little bit lighter than what we were expecting. We thought maybe he would be a little bit more um, you know, disappointed with his team's performance. But every night you can expect to really hear what he's thinking, maybe like how a player's doing. If he needs to call players out, like we saw with Jake Borchek, Claude Giroux, um, he needs more from those players. And then you see them respond. And I feel like a lot of those players um, with, you know, uh, again, Farabee and Sanheim, I'll reference having them on, like they know how serious he takes things. They, they always talk about his experience but also just that transparency, Jordan, is what I think is really important um, from a coaching standpoint. You want someone to just tell you like it is and, and really just be um, – the communication has to be very strong. And, and with Elaine Vino, I think overall one of the biggest things too, Jordan, out of, out of all of these, is that he keeps things light. We like that from the media. I, I think maybe from the team, we obviously don't know what goes on exactly every night or every practice, um, but he, he likes to keep things light. He likes to have fun. And he's got that playoff beard to, to really show what he's working with in this NHL pause. Hopefully he keeps that when uh, things get back to normal. I would not mind at all if he came back and that beard was still there. Uh, when, <laughs> when and if this season resumes, that would be pretty fun. But absolutely. And I think the experience of Peter Laviolette and Elaine Vigneault, uh, I think also had a very similar impact on these teams. Peter Laviolette uh, had won a Stanley Cup already. Uh, so I think when he came on board, players looked up to him. They knew he had been there, done that, and he demanded respect. And that's, I think, what kind of triggered them to kind of turn things around and, and get into the playoffs. And that experience went a long way. Elaine Vigneault, I think, has had um, a very similar impact with his experience. People, the Flyers, the players knew of his track record, that he had been to two Stanley Cups. He had coached a long time in big markets. Uh, and Chuck Fletcher said it when they hired him. Uh, that he, when he has a presence to him, when he walks into a locker room, there's presence, uh, players respect, and they feel his presence. And I think players really responded to Elaine Vigneault. They, they had known his track record, and there's a mutual respect there. Elaine Vigneault respected a lot of his veteran players, uh, gave them a longer leash during their, earlier on in the season when they were struggling to put up points. He continued to play them, continued to give them good minutes. 
he challenged them, but he didn't, you know, take away anything. He said, I, I trust these guys. They, they have some leash. And then I think his players respected him. They knew, hey, Elaine Vigneault has been around the block, knows what he's yeah. doing. We're going to trust his style. And uh, it kind of became a really strong marriage, and it, it resulted in, in wins and a turnaround. I think Laviolette and AV have a very similar um, impact on their teams when they first got to Philly, which I think is pretty cool. And overall, too, Jordan, like just focusing specifically on Elaine Vigneault and, and just the way the team was able to embrace him, don't you think it sort of helped, too, with Kevin Hayes being in that dressing room to really, like, hey, guys, this, you know, this is what he's like, this is what he means when he says that. Like, I understand in the league you're going to have a lot of you know, turnover and you're going to have a lot of players that have played under different guys. But specifically for this Flyers team, a player like Kevin Hayes, like such a also leader in his first year, um, but who's really made a splash with the Flyers, I feel like it's helped him too, just really like have that, you know, consistency with a coach that, you know, he knows, knows him. Um, and, and just overall with um, how this maybe transition has been able to come about. And again, Laviolette's the middle of the season. This was, you know, a fresh season, of course. It was a different scenario. That helped. But also having, you know, Kevin Hayes there to, to really um, help embrace Elaine Vino, And it was that consistency, I think, that maybe helped with Elaine Vino as well. But you, you love to see it. <laughs> no, for sure. And that was, I think, all part of a new life, new energy. Kevin Hayes is a very outgoing guy who brings his teammates together because he's fun. Uh, he's also a leader. And yeah. I think he was a new voice. And he kind of helped some of the Flyers' core guys who had been through some difficult times in terms of not winning a playoff series, uh, missing the playoffs, going through their GM and head coach being fired. He kind of had them brought back together and experienced some fun again, enjoying hockey. Uh, and he came in there and, and provided that personality. And I think he was great for Elaine Vigneault too. Uh, two yeah. guys that know each other. Kevin Hayes was able to help some of his new teammates uh, understand Elaine Vigneault, what he wants to do in practice. Uh, his system, what makes it work, what makes it doesn't. Um, I think he was a good buffer between the player and the coach to kind of uh, walk guys through. It's kind of funny. Hayes was new to an organization, but uh, in, in many ways he was helping out <laughs> Flyers players because those guys were new to Elaine Vigneault, whereas Kevin Hayes was not. Kevin Hayes had had this coach before. He grew up under him. Uh, so those two have been perfect for each other. I think they've complemented each other really well. Um, and, that, and that's been good to see. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you going back to something that was referenced just with Elaine Vino having that, you know, calling out the top players that he needed um, production from Jake Borachek, Claude Giroux and others. And we see that production happen. With that being said, Jordan, there was that point um, transitioning to our next topic. There was that point in the season where we weren't seeing the production from those top players. Therefore, we see the depth, uh, the bottom six really stepping up and helping out. Um, and with that depth, it was added with Nate Thompson and Derek Grant, of course, later on. The depth was a positive. We talked about that on our last episode. Just That's one of the biggest positives maybe both you and I could have seen from the Flyers team this season. I know you've been busy looking at a lot of um, just draft profiles, you know, possibilities what the Flyers would be looking into. Do you think, like, what are the Flyers really going to be focused on? Because in my eyes, you're not looking for a flashy forward if you're Chuck Fletcher right now, right? I mean, you've seen the production that you need. If anything, are you looking to build the bottom six? Or, or what do you think the, the Orange and Black are really focused on for this NHL draft? Yeah, it's interesting, Katie, because uh, Brent Flair uh, told me the other day, it's a, it's, not, it's a lot different than the NFL draft. The NFL draft, obviously, you're in the first round. You're drafting guys that are going to impact you from day one. 
unless you have like a, you know, a top three pick in the NHL draft, you're probably not going to get a guy that's going to impact your team in year one or two, or maybe even three. Brent Flair admitted that, you know, when we're drafting these guys, we're, we're hoping, we're, we're hoping we might see them two, three years down the road, maybe just turn pro. He's like, sometimes you might get surprised, but for the most part, you're, you're trying to draft a guy that's going to help you in two to three, four years. Um, so for me, they're going to probably, if they're in the 25 range for uh, their overall pick in the first round, uh, they're, I think they'll – Brent Flair said, their assistant general manager said that they'll draft best player available. But I think they're going to really look probably for the best center available because if you look at last year, three of their first four picks were defensemen and then the rest were wingers and then they got a goalie. So they didn't draft a center last year. And we all know, Katie, in hockey, center is – that's a position, uh, such a, a valuable position that you really need center depth in your organization. Katie, we've seen it this year. The Flyers struggled with center depth. You, like, you're always looking for centers because uh, you're always going to need them. It just seems like every year you're looking for someone that can play down the middle and give you that, that versatility and depth. So I think that's where they're going to try to replenish a little bit. There's going to be a lot of centers available. Um, and when you can find a true center in the draft, uh, especially in that 25 range, I think that's what they're going to go for. I think they're going to look for the best center available, uh, unless there's maybe a defenseman or a, you know, a goal-scoring winger there that they absolutely love. I, I think they'll look to go down the middle, Katie. Um, what do you think? And also, how out of a situation is this, uh, given you could be drafting before 2019-20 is even over and done with? There's a lot of different variables there in the fact of when they're going to hold the draft, how they're going to do it. But what are your overall thoughts, though? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I'd have to agree with you that that center position, you need a good 200-foot player. Um, you've seen that with Sean Couturier. Um, you've seen that with Kevin Hayes. You need more of that on the bottom six. And maybe just in general with overall, I do think we're going to be seeing a forward, and I, I would agree that it, it might be at that center position just because you see so many players moving around like, you need that consistent guy that, that can really help you out. Um, so with that, um, I think this is a, a very interesting situation with just everything going on this draft. And I think, I mean, everyone thinks it's just no matter what this year is going to have an asterisk next to it. It's going to be that interesting season to look back on. Um, I think going maybe back to what we were saying about the playoff format, this is a chance for the league to be creative. So, you know, the same thing goes with the NHL draft. Um, whatever's going to happen, I think we're going to have an NHL draft or whether it's going to be in between a, a training camp. I mean, I think that's a big concern. Like, are you going to have players hitting the ice, getting back into season form um, in a training camp and you're going to have the draft going on at the same time? Maybe, but you know what? I mean, at this point, any way you can have hockey back, any way we, you can have some normalcy having the NHL draft happen because it needs to happen at some point. Um, keeping things as consistent as possible and really just – trying to have things flow as much as you can, as much as it regularly would have. I think they just are trying to keep it as consistent as possible. Again, that meeting's coming later today. I think we are going to see a draft in early June. Yeah, I think they're going to try to do it like they regularly would, and obviously it would just be a virtual draft. I think they're realizing the challenges of just finishing this season. If they continue to push this off, then you're just all of a sudden trying to you know, like scrunch everything into a smaller window. And I think if they feel like they can just hold the draft, obviously the, the bigger decisions will be uh, not just holding it in June, but 
the draft order. Obviously, like it's the draft order is typically decided by how teams finished the previous season and then the lottery. So they're going to have to decide what they want to do there in terms of just taking it from where the teams were now um, and going forward with that and then holding the lottery. Or uh, I, I don't know how else they would do it, but they might just have to go with the draft position as it is now. Uh, but it really is unique to do it with a season not finished. A story that comes to mind for me is um, when the Flyers traded Braden Shen uh, on draft night in 2018. I'm sorry, 2017. It was the year they drafted Nolan Patrick uh, second overall. And then Ron Hextall, the former GM, pulled off a draft night trade. He traded Braden Shen to the Blues. And then he got he moved up and got a pick in the first round. That turned out to be Morgan Frost. Pretty good player that you're hoping to build around right now. And then he got a, a first-round pick the following season, and that turned out to be Joel Farabee. So that's a draft night trade that I don't yeah. know if you can really maybe pull that off right now because so many teams might not be looking to move a player or uh, be shifting or throwing away picks when you still have this season to worry about. So it's like if the, Flyers, yeah, if the Flyers were in that position now, maybe they don't trade Braden Shen because they're thinking, hey, you know, we have a guy that can help us now and finish off this season, and we think we can maybe make a run for the cup. Whereas in the offseason, you have a little more wiggle room and you kind of know what you're looking for next season because you're not worried about a current season. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's the uniqueness to it for me. Uh, I, I, I always it's remember that point. Braden Shen trade, yeah, where they got – they ended up turning that into uh, Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee. And Braden Shen went on to win a Stanley Cup for the Blues, so good for that too. It was a big, impactful trade that uh, I don't know if you can pull that off right now if it's held in June when one season's still yet to be finished. But we shall see, Katie. It's, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, and you got to love um, seeing what the NFL was able to do with their draft situation, right? I mean, everything is, is going to be tough right now, and, and you have a chance, again, to just be creative and have, you know, a sort of a virtual draft that is probably going to be what we're going to see, and maybe, you know, time will tell. But um, it, it is a good point that you say just with um, what may happen different as far as what it did with the Shen situation. Um, everything does happen for a reason in this draft, uh, but we certainly will see that, again, that'll be an interesting scenario just to have, uh, have that come um, to life. But we'll find out, Jordan. Yeah. This was, uh, this was fun. I mean, overall, though, to finish with the draft um, stories, I want to make sure, like, what have you been looking into? I know you've been busy looking at some draft profiles. What do you think are the top um, prospects the Flyers would be looking to uh, potentially draft in this upcoming um, NHL draft? No, great question, Katie. I, I'm, I'm, I've just kind of started to do some research on some of the prospects that might be in their range. Um, I've started to look a little more at center because I just think that's probably where they'll go uh, at that pick. But uh, it was nice. I was able to chat with Brent Flair, the Flyers' assistant general manager, who oversees their scouting and oversees their draft. Um, he's really the one that kind of steers the whole thing. And then Chuck Fletcher is more of um, more of a guy that kind of – signs off on the decision, but really values Brent Flair and their scouting staff and what they do. So, so yeah, I think they'll lean towards the center um, and we'll have plenty of more draft profiles kind of looking at guys that they might go for. Um, recently, I wrote about um, a center. His name's Brandon Bersam out of the UCS, USHL. And uh, he's going to Michigan next season, Katie, which would be pretty cool because uh, Cam York, who the Flyers got in the first round last draft, 
is at Michigan. He'll be a sophomore, could be his last uh, collegiate season. So uh, I don't know if they'll get Brandon Brisson. He's a center, um, but if they do, that would be pretty fun to have those two first-round picks uh, at Michigan in 2020-21. A lot of fun to watch there. Uh, But seriously, plenty of guys, and we'll look at a ton of them throughout May and throughout June. Uh, But my gut tells me that I think they're going to want to get the best center available at that 25 range. But we'll see. Brent Flair said the other day, he's like, we really don't even know where we're exactly picking. But they have an idea. They think it's a pretty good draft, and they think there's some good depth to it. Uh, so it'll, it'll be fun to see how it plays out. But I think Katie, overall, would you agree that the NFL draft kind of held an importance to it in the, in the fact that it gave fans like sports, it gave them something to kind of latch onto during this period of time. It kind of gave them a sense of normalcy. I wonder if the NHL in the back of their minds is thinking if we can hold this NHL draft, it will give some fans hope. It will give them something to, to kind of talk about hockey again and it yeah. will probably be really good for the league. I just think in an overall business perspective, I think it could help the league and it could help uh, give fans a sense of normalcy. It will give them hockey to talk about instead of just pushing it off and just going the whole yeah. summer with no hockey. What do you think? I think that might be the league's idea. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things, again, going back to the, you know, the only virtual draft we've seen so far, the NFL, I loved seeing the fans on the screen behind Goodell, like all the fans being involved. You have a, like, I just thought the way they were able to do it was very creative. I love seeing the coaches in their houses that they're like in their homes with their families around them, um, even with owners and everything too. I thought it was just, it's a very unique situation that you have. And going back to what I said, it's a chance for the NHL to be creative. You know, now it's their turn to really find a way to be creative with this. Um, and, and I'm excited to see what they come up with. And I do believe, you know, that it will be early June. I hope it is. Um, and I hope that we do see just a, a way to be creative. You know, I can only imagine what they have planned if it does um, happen soon here. I think that, you know, if you like what you said, you you can't keep pushing it off. I think right now it's going to be different no matter what people expect that people want hockey. I want hockey, right? I I don't know why I had to do the clap with that. We all want hockey back. We want some sort of news, Jordan. We want something going on. And I think this will be absolutely, it will be great for fans. I think it will be good for the league. And I think it will give them something to cross off their list. Like their to-do list is uh, growing day by day. Yeah. And this would be something to say, hey, we handled the draft. The draft is over. We, we were able to at least do that. Now we can really just focus on trying to finish this season, try to get the playoffs in, and award the Stanley Cup. Because, uh, yeah, if you keep pushing free agency back, which is natural, it's just naturally going to be pushed back. Um, this, the draft is one thing you can do. You can really hold it. It's crazy yeah. for – teams they're all adjusting because you know they're not watching hockey live right now whereas they would be uh they'd be watching playoff hockey at all different levels they'd be seeing prospects live they have to do everything via video now so it's an adjustment for all teams but everyone's in the same boat and they would all be having to adjust and that's just the nature of this right now but uh, i think think holding the draft in june uh would be fun just because it'd be it would give fans and the league some good publicity and it would it'd be something to do yeah, we definitely will find out more from that info. And Well, Katie, thank you so much, as always. That is the Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe. And we can't wait to talk to you next time.
I know why you're here. Stanley Cup playoff overtime hockey is the greatest thing going. You want to hear about the Flyers and Penguins playing for nearly seven hours. Guys are going in and out of the bathroom and I go in at the same time and Craig Ramsey, for whatever reason, would be right next to me at every intermission and he'd look over and go, you okay, Bundles? I'm like... Yeah, we're only on our seventh period, but everything's going really good. You want to hear about the arena running out of food. They brought pizza to us well into the night, and they kind of surprised us. They came back a little earlier than expected from the studio, and they said, hey, oh, we're up in 30 seconds. So we throw up our, our IFBs, and we turn around, and I said, hey, welcome back to the Civic Arena here in Pittsburgh. And I look at Dorney, and he's got pizza coming out of the corner of his mouth. The ships on the ice that lasted less than 10 seconds. He went from blue line to blue line and back to the bench and chains. You want to hear about the marathon on ice.